<laughs> yeah, we've got a lot on this one. <laughs> and we have to get to the best of topic. Yeah, Daniel, this this episode like doesn't have anything we can cut. Yeah. We just have to keep going. Yeah. Like this is as long as it takes. Exa- that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like we're gonna get started and like we don't even have time for a lengthy pre show here. Like we're gonna get into it. And it's, we're just hearing me like Lucas, we got we got it. Like we gotta move on because we have like it's been forty five minutes and like we still haven't even gotten to the main topic. I'm like, Daniel, there's still more to say. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of film cameras to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Sorry, let me look in here at my fancy cool new watch and uh start my start my stopwatch here so that I know how long this episode's going. I don't even know if this is the episode. This is the episode, man. We are <laughs> we, we are we've here. already started. <laughs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel. And I'm Lucas. And we're here today to talk about the gear, software, and techniques we use to shoot photos and video. I know what you're not prepared for. What am I not prepared for? Me to introduce a new segment. Oh my. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have time for that today, Lucas. Don't have time. So I know that I previously retired one of our old segments because I felt that it was appropriate for us to have three formal segments on this podcast um, because of the triangle diffusion. Uh-huh. I'm not removing any of the previous segments. I know that that's very upsetting for you. <laughs> this is just going to be like a, like another segment over here. It's not a part of the triangle. It's just like another segment. Mm, I'm not sure. Okay. And, I'm, and the reason I'm starting the segment is because I feel like we've already covered things that would be in this segment. So it's like a retroactive and so segment? I, yeah. So I'm retconning previous episodes okay. and saying that we've already done versions of the segment before, but now it's, it's, this is, we're formalizing it and I'm going to call it cameras were better when cameras were worse. <laughs> Doesn't really roll off the tongue, but things were better when things were worse. I <laughs> What do you want from let's me? Let's just, let's just see what you've got here. This is really good. Okay. So I want to present to you this, uh, what, 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 <clears throat> The Epson RD1. Is is that a camera? Yeah. Do you, you know Epson, the printer Epson, company? Epson makes printers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they also make salt. They you really? No, it's Epsom salt. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you got me so good. <laughs> I was like, what is it, like Samsung? <laughs> yeah, no, Epson makes skateboards and uh, printers. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> what else would they make? They made... We were like five digital cameras back in the early 2000s, whenever oh. everyone was making digital cameras. Right. Yeah, I remember those days. Mm-hmm. My first my first digital camera was a Toshiba. Really? Yes, really. Okay. <laughs> we might have to talk more about that at some point. <laughs> That's how you put that on the list. <laughs> That'll be for the new year. That's cool. So this this puppy. Now, I'm going to get into some of these specs and whatever, and we're going to talk about CCD sensors. Okay. Do you know what a CCD sensor is? I've heard of them, and I know that some old video cameras actually use CCD sensors. I think they were better than the than the early CMOS sensors. Like they, it used to be like a premium thing. Yeah, so it it used to be that CCD was just better than CMOS, mm-hmm. and you had lower noise and better color color fidelity. Yep, and they were people just people just liked them. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking for an old camera, there's still a group of people out there that are like CCD purists. They don't want any of this seamless yeah. garbage. Well, I, I think it actually might be part of like the aesthetic of those old skateboarding videos. Sure. I'm pretty sure. I, you know what I mean though, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that those cameras use CCD sensors and I think that might actually be part of why they're sought after. But. So this Epson RD1 doesn't even, doesn't even shoot video. Okay. So it's just photos. It's just photo. 
but even still there are uh, there are ccd purists that are cool. like i gotta have that compo no sorry i have to have that charge coupled device sensor yeah i hear people say that all the time now i know what they mean you know what cmos stands for uh no i don't complementary metal oxide semiconductor mm-hmm. Fancy. yeah true story yeah most like most modern cameras are, are cmos right right and CMOS sensors have gotten better. Yeah, they've gotten a lot better. I mean, if you go look for an old CCD sensor, if it goes above like ISO 800, oh boy, you're in a world of hurt. <laughs> okay, so I want I want you to look at your look at your show notes here, and mm-hmm. you might have to like do some pinch to zoom in. But I want you to scroll down and look at the top of this camera. I have two photos in here of the geez, I keep forgetting the name of this thing of the Epson RD RD one. Geez, RD one. Man, they're all, it's all just this numbers. is like Fuji levels of diamonds. Yeah, dude, look, look. So you're looking at the top of this thing. You can't yeah. even like, you can't even tell from the image on the far left there. There's another dial. Oh wow, that's for okay. going through the menus. We're not uh-huh. even talking about that one. I'm seeing a so there's like a 50 and 28, 35. I'm guessing that's like a focal length. Basically, thing. I want you, I want you to describe the top of this camera to me. I mean it, it looks like a Fuji camera. Like I'm, I'm seeing the shutter dial on the right. That's got it all, or no, that's uh. That yeah, ISO? that's shutter is speed. That, uh, is that shutter speed or is that ISO? It goes shutter speed. Yeah, so this one ISO caps out at sixteen hundred on this okay. camera, and shutter speed caps out at two thousand. Yeah, I so see that's that. shutter speed. Yeah, okay. And then there's a, uh, I think that's exposure compensation. Is that what the one that the E is? Uh, I mean, know. that's a good question. This is yeah. what I need you to zoom in on, Daniel. Look at this. Yeah. Look at no, this I'm, dial I, configuration. I see which it. I see it. I see the. the I would the describe this, this as uh, as the dash of a car. I I mean, an instrument cluster, right, right down to the fact that there's a fuel gauge on there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> I've never seen a camera with a gas tank level fuel gauge, but here it is. So this camera shares the same sensor as a Nikon D100. Interesting. And the D100 sells for 50 bucks these days. This camera, you'd be lucky if you find it for less than $2,000. Wow. Why is it so high? Is it because it's uh, CCD or something else? I mean, the D100 has the same sensor. So it's not, that's part of the reason, but not totally. I think the main reason here is that uh, instrument cluster you're looking at. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty cool. I mean, it's just like, this has more style than cameras do now. Now, yeah, there's a picture below it of the back of the camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anything stand out to you about that? Well, the, you said this. Is, I mean, it's a CCD, so it's a digital camera, but mm-hmm. there's no screen. That's a flippy screen, Daniel. <laughs> it looks like it's a full flip That's screen, That's a too. true believer flippy screen, fully articulating. Wow. Doesn't shoot video, though. And it doesn't give you a live view. That's just for previewing pictures. <laughs> And that also looks like it has some sort of dial on it. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. I think that's like mm-hmm. a logo. Okay, okay. So all the settings that you need to mo- change in this camera, you basically change with the levers and the dials. And it has a screen on it so you can look at your photos, but you're not really doing it because this is a rangefinder. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking through the glass, shooting your pictures. I want to talk about this instrument cluster though. <laughs> so Yeah, I need to know more about that. Like why, what is this fuel gauge telling me? What, what kind of the fuel? The fuel gauge is, is literally the battery. <laughs> Empty to full, and then it just moves. Oh man, that's so good. And the out, the outside of it. If you can see, it looks like there's a there's an hour hand, like a large dial. Yeah, there's a big one. Yeah, that mm-hmm. moves around. Okay. And I believe that is your ISO. Oh, because it go. I can see the, the the biggest number I see is five hundred. Mm-hmm. But why it goes down to zero? 
I might have that wrong. Yeah. Let me double check my notes though. Sorry. That's the amount of shots you have. This thing, there's two versions of this. And the first version only supported a two gigabyte SD card. Oh, wow. And okay. so you could get roughly 500 shots on it. And, that, and granted, two gigabytes was probably enormous back whenever this came out. When, yeah. when did this camera come out? 2005. Okay. Yeah. Was, two gigabytes was quite a bit of space back then. And so that's that's your, literally your shot count. <laughs> so you can see like how many shots you have left and it's just ticking down from 500. That's so cool. And then that dial on the left mm-hmm. is your white balance. And then the dial on the right is it says NHR. Yes. That's normal, high, and raw. Oh, it's like the um like the quality level of your shots, basically. Yep, exactly. It supports three lenses because it's a rangefinder. And that's that dial on the that's left. That's the one to, to 50, 28, yeah, 35. To the left of the hot shoe. There's uh-huh. a 50, a 28, and a 35. And when you say it supports three lenses, is this an interchangeable lens? Yes, it's so, an interchangeable So when you switch camera. that thing, you're you're changing the, the eyepiece. Right, because it's a range finder. You're yeah. changing the way the framing looks in the range, in the range finder. Right, that makes sense. And then there's a, yeah, there is a hot shoe on there. Yep. I don't know if it's a hot shoe. There's a, there's a. It's, it's a hot shoe. Okay. Like an M-mount. So you're shooting with Leica lenses. Got a CCD sensor on there. All these manual controls. Now, one more thing. I don't know if you can see here, there's a lever on this camera, like a film camera lever. Where's that at? It's just where the right thumb would be. Okay. You know, like an AE1 has that like lever, Uh crank that puppy. Yep. You know what that thing's for? What's that for? It's for cocking the shutter. (laughs) Why? So that you can release the shutter, Daniel. (laughs) Obviously. This camera feels like it's just solidly on the edge between film and digital. Like... You, your CCD sensor uses more power than your CMOS sensor. How are you going to save that battery? Well, what if you don't have to use the battery for the shutter? (laughs) Is that a meaningful amount of the battery power? This is the most tactily fun camera I have possibly ever seen. I mean, I love that it has dials. Like that just looks fun to use. Yes, it does. <laughs> like the the dial for numbers of number of shots left. Can you imagine? That's so cool. It's it's very cool, Daniel. And uh, it shoots you know six point one megapixel images. And there you go. Like, what is the sensor size in this thing? It's APS-C. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and I, I'm just saying. I found a comparison article on MPB's website where they compared this to an A7S2, <laughs> and I'm not saying it doesn't hold its own. I mean, for photos, the A7S II is really not great. It's 12 well, megapixels. 12, 12 yeah. megapixel sensor. I mean, you're not yeah. you're not going to get that much more detail. Yeah. It. I feel like this is this is probably everything you need, Daniel. I mean, if you're I, just taking taking easy pictures and you want like a little range finder, and you're like you want to go through the effort of like. Which, let's be honest, who doesn't want to go through that effort? Yeah. I, mean, I think the biggest question is this or Fuji X100V. Because I think you said this was like two thousand. If you can find oh, it, yeah, sure. that's about the same price point as the X one hundred B. Same you, sensor size. You remember when the Expo three came out and it's got that flippy screen that folds down and like I in do default rem- position is closed. I remember making fun of that. Yeah, it has that little postage stamp on the back where you can, all you can see is like your film setting or something. This camera was that before the Expo three was cool. This was like the Expo zero. Yes, it was. Hmm. That's, that's, that wasn't that wasn't an innovative thing, Daniel. They were just bringing this back. I think it's pretty cool. I'm not saying I'd spend two thousand dollars on one because you know this isn't me, but I think it's cool. 
I think it's super cool. And we need more cameras like this. Yeah. We need more like weird cameras. I mean, I kind of feel the way about a lot of technology. Like everything has gotten so safe, you know, it's like there you don't see as it feels like you don't see as much innovation and revolutionary products because it's just easier and safer to come out with something that's similar to the previous stuff. Like, you know, it's going to sell, you know, people are going to like it. Why mess with the formula that works? But the downside of that is you don't get cameras with a fuel gauge instead of a battery. meter. <laughs> that is the downside. So I was going deep on this as you might expect, uh, as you already have. honestly. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing that I came across was another CCD camera. Okay. That's medium format. Oh, interesting. And I was like, why haven't I gone down the road? I mean, I've been talking about this whole film thing and like, yeah. what if I want to shoot medium format and what's the easiest way to do that? And I, for some reason, I haven't been looking at 2000, Mario, like year 2000 medium format cameras. <laughs> do they exist? Oh, yeah. I would like to present to you as the second camera in my series of things were better when things are worse. The Pentax 645D. Now, I know that you're very, very familiar with the Pentax 645 because I probably have talked about it on this podcast. You've at least mentioned it in passing. That is a that is a medium format film camera mm -hmm. that shoots 120 film and the film that it shoots, six centimeters by four centimeters, right? Six, four, five. And that's not, that's the size of the thing. Like actual size of the image is like 56 millimeters by 41, right? Slightly smaller because of the, the mm -hmm. outline of the thing. Okay. The 645D is the digital version. Interesting. Did you know that they had a digital version before now? No. I didn't even know that Pentax made medium format digital sensor cameras. Here we are. Like, no idea. But yes, here we are. And this thing's like 40 megapixels. <laughs> really? Wow. And it's a, it's, it's, like I said, CCD sensor, but it's also a lie. This thing is a is 44 by 33 millimeters. So it's not medium format? It's it's not a 645. It's the same size as like a GFX 100. Uh -huh. It's the same size as current modern medium format digital cameras, but it is not a 645. This is like whenever we started hearing about 5G and then magically, like the next day, your phone said that it was 5GE and you're like, what is that? And it was not 5G, but they made it sound like 5G. It reminds me also of the, what was like the 2016 or 2017 year model of the Mustang where it shipped with like a 5.0, but it was actually like 4.9 something. And people were mad because it wasn't actually five liters. And Ford said, it's a branding thing. Five was <laughs> a branding, not the engine size. It's exactly what yeah. Pentax is doing here. Mm -hmm. 645 is a branding, not the sensor size. Yeah. I don't know about that. I'm wondering though. Maybe this is the answer. I've been like, how do how do I scan my film at one to one with an APS-C camera? I can't do it. What if I bought a medium format digital <laughs> camera, but I buy an old one that would cost with a macro lens less than a scanner that can scan up to six thousand pixels across? Is that the case? Is it is it that cheap? It's I mean, it's not that cheap. I don't We're know how expensive a scanner that can scan 6,000 pixels across is. Yeah, see, that's, that's the thing is I haven't found that scanner. I feel like those scanners are really expensive. Whereas this one, I could probably find a lens for like a thousand bucks. I can find to use one of these for somewhere between 800 and 1200. So you're looking at like, two, you know, 
2,000, all in? Yeah, say like $2,000. I could get like a circa 2003 medium format digital camera. Yeah, you'd be scratching that medium format itch. Yeah, just saying, Daniel. This <laughs> thing's got a CCD sensor, maximum ISO of, what, I think it's 1,000. One, 1, <laughs> That's not very high. <laughs> Minimum ISO 200. <laughs> Man, you really got to nail it on your exposure there. You don't have a lot of breathing room. Uh, yeah, not not too much. Not too much. Pretty pretty cool, though. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So, and when, when did that one come out? This one came out, I think, in 2011, actually. Oh, that's that's more recent than I would have expected, mm-hmm. I think. And it's very similar to uh, the Hasselblad of, with that also has the same size 40 megapixel sensor. I'm guessing the Hasselblad is more expensive. Depends on where you look. Are you talking about like five finger discount here? Or <laughs> that, that was a little suspicious. I mean, it just depends on where you look. These, um, there's not a lot of these things around, but I do feel like there may be a future part of this podcast <laughs> where I'm like, hey, Daniel, I've been looking more at uh, like 2005 medium format cameras. <laughs> and everyone's going to get tired of me talking about it. Yep. That'll be the next film. But yeah, so like this Pentax 645, we're looking at, you know, Oh, I think I put this in the wrong spot. I was gonna say two thousand to three thousand views. That's it is less than that. That price was for that for that oh, Epson camera. Okay. I have my my show notes out of order. Mm. Because, get it together, man. Because I was looking into CCD sensors, and the way I formatted this was like, oh, here's what I'm gonna do to Daniel. And I wish I'd remembered until this point <laughs> is I was gonna take you down this path on the Epson, and then I was gonna be like, and as an aside, and then we were gonna go down a whole tangent <laughs> on the six four five. And then we were going to come back to the Epson. I don't. That's it was going to be very I, confusing. I wouldn't have been able to follow that. I, was, I don't know if anybody else would. I was have been super able to excited about the concept. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, now you're doing high concept podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So let me talk a little bit more about the framework. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's the end of my segment. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's uh, there seems like there's a lot of cameras out there that are surprisingly capable for how old they are. And I'm always impressed at that people still want to pay good money for those things. There are certain cult cameras out there that it's, you know, it's, this camera's 20 years old. And I get people who they're looking for like a, a Leica M6 film camera or something. Mm-hmm. And they really want, you know, that for whatever reason or the lenses. And there's like little cult followings about certain cameras or certain lenses. But I never expect that from digital cameras that came out between 2000 and 2010 because yeah. I feel like it was so new and it was so, you know, like cameras nowadays are so much better. That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So much better. A, a, an entry level, like Canon R100 is going to take in way, way better pictures than whatever, you know, high end camera from you know 2000 yeah. is going to take. Did you ever use any of those old digital cameras? I know you weren't really into photography back then, but I mean, did your family have anything like that? Or? My dad shot with a Nikon mm, D something, D850 or something like that. And then oh, I can never keep track of the model numbers. He had a couple Nikon digital cameras. And then my first digital camera was like a little Kodak point and shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that was kind of most of my exposure to those cameras back yeah, then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the one that we had too well, but yeah, I mean, it just seemed to me like it was, you know, it was the first digital cameras and obviously there were immediate advantages to digital, like being able to see your pictures immediately and not having to pay for film, you know, kind of like an electric, an electric car where it's like suddenly you could get something that didn't have that ongoing consumable right. cost, you know, so there were advantages there, but 
I mean, yeah, they just weren't that good in terms of image quality. And I mean, even now, you know, film still has some advantages over digital cameras in terms of like dynamic range and stuff. And so you can imagine like the first sensors weren't, weren't very good, but it's surprising to see that there's still a cult following for some of those things. But it's, it's funny in that. So for instance, if you're shooting on something that has, you know, 14, 15 stops of dynamic range and you're comparing it to something that has maybe 12, mm-hmm. the one with less dynamic range is going to be more contrasty out the box. You're going to have like deeper shadows and just good more point. contrast in the picture. That's a good point. And for some people, they they kind of want that. They are yeah. looking for a certain look or to recreate something straight out of camera mm-hmm. that maybe takes a little more finessing to get now. And I feel like, like I feel like you can make anything look like anything nowadays with yeah. like 14 bit raw files. But I guess some people are still trying to kind of get that look that they had before. And I think that's why you have things like the this 645D or the Epson R1. Oh, hold on. It's, I can't. I can't. RD1, can't, I think. I can't stay in room with any of that camera. The Epson RD1. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, wow, this is really cool. I really like the image out of this. Nothing else is making that kind of image. They don't even use the sensor technology anymore. And so you have people looking for these things. And now you're one of them. There's a there's a YouTuber I follow. It's like Snap Something. I can't remember. And the whole point of that guy's YouTube channel is old cameras. <laughs> and he's like, check out this one. And he pulls out this insane looking camera. And he's like, this came out in 2002. And it's got a two megapixel sensor on it. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, I feel like I feel like my shelf deserves more old cameras. <laughs> I was thinking that you could have been that YouTuber in some sort of parallel universe. You know what? I probably could have. <laughs> Ugh. Should have done that instead of starting this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine where you'd be now. Oh boy, probably the same the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just with more old cameras. Just more old cameras. Be a real problem. Yeah. I don't know what do I do with all those old cameras. <laughs> you figure something out. All right, I got I got another camera to talk to you about. Yeah, can we move into something that's like, you know, this century, a little bit the, these, newer? This was all this century, Daniel. I don't know what you're talking. We're talking like 2011, 2005. Mm-hmm. It's this century. Yes, that's true. This decade? How about that? This decade. Did you know that you can build a Raspberry Pi camera? I didn't know you could build one. I knew that they sold a camera accessories for the Pi, but what do you mean by build? So, like, yes, you can buy sensors for the Raspberry, camera sensors for the Raspberry Pi. Mm-hmm. They have uh, this little global sensor one that's, you know, a couple megapixels. They have a 12 megapixel one that's their their high quality camera sensor. And that's like a, let's see if I can find it. It's a, it's a Sony IMX 477. Okay. Which it's is probably like a smartphone camera. No, it's the, the high, qual- high quality one is one over 2.3 or one over 1.3. So it's like a broadcast size sensor. Oh, okay. And cool. it, it's got like a 14-bit, you know, at the sensor, and you can do like 60 frames per second at 2K and this sort of thing. Wow, okay. And so what the innovative people on the internet have done is there is now, you know, you can go to your GitHub and you can do a pull a pull down for a, a, a thing for, for the Raspberry Pi that makes it a cinema camera. So like you, you install this on your Raspberry Pi, and then you connect this the sensor, and then you have a cinema camera. <laughs> so what do you mean? What is the what is the software doing? Does it give you like I mean, do you put a screen on it? Right. It's, it's a matter of like what are you doing with the output from the 
from the sensor itself. Okay. okay. And then, you know, like, here are all my settings and mm-hmm. here's my preview. You get like, you got to do all the software thing of yeah. like, here's the interface and here's all of your setting options and, and that sort of thing. So you must have to add a screen to the Raspberry Pi, like as a, a preview or something. Yeah. Right? So like, you're going to have to build it. Like okay. you have to buy the sensor, you have to buy the Pi and then you have to 3D print the case. And then you apply the screen, and then now you have a uh, a Raspberry Pi cinema camera. Pretty cool. How, so, what are the specs like on that thing? Yeah. So let me uh, let me go and find the sensor thing real quick. I had too many tabs open. Too many tabs open, he says. Okay. So this thing can basically do whatever that sensor can do, and so it can do 14-bit RAW internal. It can do, I think it's 60 frames per second at full resolution. And this is a, it's a 4K sensor. And so you're looking at, I think like, it says 4K, 2K. I don't have my ducks in an order. So you could potentially do 2K raw, but you could do 4K at 60 frames per second? Okay, yeah. So it's, you can do like the full size of the sensor, which is at a 4 by 3 ratio. You can do 60 frames per second at 4K. Or you can do like 2K24 or, you know, like 1080, 60, things along those lines. So like basic spec numbers. Mm-hmm. And you can you can download sample like DNG raw to your card. Oh, wow. So, and you can do the raw up to like the readout of the sensor, which is 14-bit. So you got 14-bit raw internal at 4K, <laughs> Daniel. That's pretty impressive. How much is this thing going to cost? I mean, you, that's that's totally up to you. You're building it, Daniel. I mean, the, these these sensors are like fifty bucks. Okay, and, and the, you know, Raspberry Pi is like a like, hundred, maybe. Sure, I yeah. mean, you could buy a Pi Zero, that sort of thing, and then uh, it's whatever it costs for you to build the rest. Yeah, because you get the screen too, but still, you're probably looking at like a couple hundred bucks all in. Yeah, maybe at most. I mean, you have to you have to get lenses for it. Yeah, what are people using as the lens mount? So know? the that sensor itself, and I am like. Digging for my notes, and all I did was include links. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad podcaster today, Daniel. Okay, there it is. It has a C slash CS mount or an M12 mount for that high quality sensor, and so that C mount is it's just like an old cinema mount, basically. Yeah. And it has like a eh, it's like 12 ish. The C mount has like a 12 ish millimeter, or is it the the CS? One of those versions has like a 12 ish millimeter flange distance. Okay, and so you can basically adapt anything to that that would still match the flange distance. Mm. So most of like your cinema camera t- style stuff, so you're going to do you know, like EF or, you know, PL, those kind of things are going to be mounted to this just fine. Any of your old like film camera lenses, like you probably would put an M42 on this thing or, you know, maybe like a case or you're going to put a case lens on this if you have those. Uh, but an old like FD Canon yeah. lens. I If you can find the right adapters, 12 millimeter could probably adapt up to L mount because that's 20 millimeters. <laughs> so it just kind of depends, but you can adapt most lenses that, that you might be looking for. You just kind of have to yeah. figure out the way to get that on there. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a huge sensor. We're talking like broadcast level stuff. You're not like APS-C or full frame or anything, but you're getting, you're getting decent output. Yeah. You're getting raw internal <laughs> and you can just, you can just print this camera at home. <laughs> that's pretty cool. I mean, it'd be a fun project for sure. Yeah, it would. I feel like you got to do this, Daniel. Um, maybe you ought to do it. Well, I feel like you're more you're more equipped. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the 3D printer, but you're gonna have to supply the super old cinema lens. How about that? Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> Find a way to adapt some like anamorphic to this. Oh man, I don't know if uh if this Cine Pi, which is the 
you know, camera build thing. It, I don't know if it has like Anamorphic support in it or not. Yeah. But it's an open source project. If you could you figure could, you out could how to do own. the D-squeeze, you, you, could, you could push that to the, the Git. <laughs> be pretty, pretty cool. Man, that's, that's neat though. It's cool that people are doing that. Okay, sorry. I'm looking, I'm like, I found the rest of my notes. It's 2K raw in cinema DNG up to 50 frames per second. So not as well as advertised, but the sensor should be able to read that out. So I think that's a matter of like cooling and the performance of the Pi mm-hmm. and less of what the sensor can do. So like maybe you could like, I don't know, overclock your Pi, <laughs> push that up to a higher resolution. This is all just very cool. It's it like is. 10-bit color and all this yeah. stuff. So, or 12-bit. But It sounds like it's basically enabled by that camera sensor existing. Which yeah. makes me think that like maybe there'll be better versions of that in the future and you could make this thing better. I mean they they, they released one in twenty twenty and they released one in twenty twenty three. Okay. So this is like this yeah. is like the better one. Pretty cool. And they have a global sensor version. You could make a little one point six megapixel global <laughs> sensor camera. <laughs> that might be a little crazy. Yeah. But uh this is this is all really cool. Yeah. And I feel like my the main motivation to do this would be that you could build your own cinema camera. I mean it that records raw internal and then red would sue you. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, they would. <laughs> Only if you try to sell it, maybe. Just post it online? <laughs> sell it for like a couple hundred dollars? Are you saying it would be a, a badge of honor to be sued by Red? Maybe. No. <laughs> Could be fun. <laughs> Could be. It's kind of it's kind of like how uh Rhodes being sued. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that last week or a week or two ago, I guess, about the uh the patent drama with a deity Theos and we've learned more about it since then. So I threw road under the bus in that episode and then I kind of insinuated that I thought road was the one with the patent because they released that wireless pro and yeah, that, you did. that has the feature and I was wrong. It was not road. So there's this other company called Zaxcom and they're the ones that have the patent for this. And the patent is basically Recording and transmitting wireless audio at the same time. That's it. Which sounds pretty uh, pretty vague to me. So um, have they sued I DJI? I don't think they've sued DJI. At least I haven't heard about that. So I know they've sued Rode, some other company that was started with an L. Can't remember what that electronics or something like that. And uh, and they're they're also sued. They either I think they have already sued Tascam as well because all these companies make products that record and transmit wireless audio at so the same time. It's not even that. It's not even like thirty two bit. It's it just anything. No, it doesn't sound like it's thirty two bit. It's any kind of uh, recording and transmitting at the same time. That's hot garbage. It really is. It's ridiculous. I mean, I've never even heard of this company. It's it's so vague. Like how I don't. I feel like to have a, a, a reasonable patent, it's got to be like recording and transmitting at the same time using this proprietary technology yeah. that we've developed. But it's not. It's just like doing it at the same time. I guess it's hard because, you know, like I, it's it seems like the definition of a patent should be like you are doing something in a novel way that, you know, required you to research something and create something that didn't exist before. And you know, surely at some point in time, recording and transmitting wireless audio would have made sense for that because like, you know, back when computers were new, that would have been pretty novel, but it just feels like such a basic thing now that like, how can you patent that? And they've had that patent since 2010. So patents in the US last for 20 years. And that means that this patent doesn't expire until 2030. That's super duper dumb. It is. 
and I just it's just not fair. Like I've I looked I looked I never even heard of Zaxcom before today. Yeah, same here. <laughs> it's they that is a company that is so pro that like it's totally outside my world. I was trying to figure out where can I go buy some like Zaxcom devices so I can I can simultaneously record and transmit at the same time and I can be cool <laughs> like these guys. And like you go to their website and they're like look what was mixed on uh, look what movie they used our devices to mix with and it's like Oppenheimer. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, that level. Right, they're like you know hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. movie level, like studio level movie. Okay. And uh, I'm like looking on their on their site for a device that I can I like okay what where what could I get from them that can record 32 bit internal yeah and can also transmit and how how do I even configure this you can't buy it from B and H you got to go to like Gotham Sound or something <laughs> this is not even from you know your consumer camera retailer people and you can buy their little transmitter puck thing for for its internal recording and it does like a lot of different it's very very pro as far as oh look at all these different like frequency ranges you can transmit on and blah 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 like features on features mm-hmm. it's like two thousand <laughs> oh my gosh just for the transmitter and then it's like five times the price of the theos yeah and but then you also you have to go buy the receiver right because you have to buy one that's compatible for all of your transmitters that you have sure and so the receiver is going to cost you another like twenty five hundred dollars that's ridiculous it's just it's clearly not the same market that road or deity are going after with their products oh it's absolutely yeah it's like is is they are is axcom really losing market <laughs> To road, yeah, enough to sue them. I don't know how patent law works. Thankfully, I don't. That's not something I really care to learn a lot about. But you know, I know with trademarks, you have to defend your trademark. We talked about that a few weeks ago with the Cinestill thing. It's like if you have a trademark, you have to sue people that are using that because otherwise, you it's like squatters' rights. You lose the trademark. I don't know if patents work that way or not. I I feel like they don't, but I don't know. It's just if you go out and you buy like a deity theos or you buy a, a road video mic pro you're going to spend somewhere between whatever 500 and a thousand dollars and you're going to get like two two mics or two transmitters one receiver right and all these things if you wanted to go to zaxcom and buy a larger heavier more power hungry version of that where you have two transmitters and a receiver you're like sixty five hundred dollars in on this crazy pro solution it's ridiculous and i just i don't i don't get it like i get they have the patent but they're not benefiting anybody yeah. by suing these other companies. Yeah. It's just hurting all of us. I mean, I totally, knowing all this context, I totally understand Deity not supporting this feature in their product. Because, like, sure. why why would they want to get sued? You know, I mean, it's just, it's going to be, exp- even if you win, it's going to be expensive in legal costs. So, I, I get it. But that's pretty bad for them. And it's bad for us as consumers because it's just, like, they can't, they have to make their product worse. And we can't buy a product with all the features we want. It's just, it's messed up. It is. I've thought about this a little bit and I've realized what we should do. Tell me, what should we do? We just need to use two laughs. <laughs> what do you mean? So you've, you've watched like speeches and stuff. Cause you've mentioned this before. You're like, Lucas, why do they have two labs on their shirt? This yeah, doesn't make and, any sense. And the, the microphone thing is always like five times the size of the ones we use. But, yeah. but regardless, yes, they often have two. This is why. 
we can get we can just use two labs and one can record internal and one can transmit to the camera. The problem is that the one that records internal has to be 32 bit and the one that transmits the camera, I guess like whatever, it's going to be fine. And so I don't know how we would get there. Cause you would, we would have to buy like a, like a Theos or something. And that would have to be the local one. Can you remote remote trigger the recording? I think you can because the Theos supports the site. They have a Citus audio app, kind of like the Citus link app for mm-hmm. uh, for Aperture. And I think you can control everything remotely. So I think you can wirelessly trigger it. Because that's always the problem is like you don't want the person to have to deal with pressing the button. Yep. Now they're going to have to wear two audio packs. So <laughs> that's true. And they're going to have to run two microphones. <laughs> but I feel like this is the answer. You know, if, if, you, Zach, if you had to guarantee it, that would be a way to do it. Zach's com is, has pinned us in a corner and we're just going to have to use two mics. <laughs> it's not the worst idea. I'm just saying we're, we already have two cameras. Yeah. We just put one of the things on one and one of the things on the other. <laughs> That's true. Yep. <laughs> there would be no putting one on the other because only one of them is transmitting. Yeah, valid. Well, yeah. you got to like be able to hit the record button, right? So you have to have another sure. hot shoe or something to mount the uh, the receiver on, even okay. though it's not doing any receiving. I, I don't know about that. It's crazy. It's, it's perfect. We I, could get rid of the the boom and the shotgun. Yeah, and like there we go, problem solved. <laughs> I do think we're gonna have to figure out what to do about that because it's I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't feel good to buy something that's two point four gigahertz after all the like interference problems we've seen. So this is my problem, right? You'd have to buy the Theos and use that one as the transmitting one, but you still want the onboard one to be 32-bit. So I guess like you could use both Theos packs. <laughs> they do, you know, they do make uh, body pack units that don't transmit at all and just have internal recording. Like Zoom Zoom makes one that's like 150 bucks. I mean, we could just do that. So you get that. And then you have your wireless transmitter and hopefully you can use the wireless. Like hopefully that's cause it's just easier if you don't have to, if you don't have to grab this other recording. So hopefully you can use that. But if that fails, you have a second lav as a backup. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. You could do that. More annoying if you've got your, uh, you know, if your if your talent is not a professional on camera person, then you're like, can you run this lab? Also, can you run this other lab? <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. This is the perfect solution. We've solved it until 2030. <laughs> yeah. But in 2030, <laughs> find that Theos and it's going to be great. Theos Mark Mark 4 yeah. or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, man. What a mess. Okay. 38 minutes. Yep. Are you ready for the main topic? <laughs> I think so. Let's take a break and then we'll get on, get into that one. All right, Lucas. Okay, so we are you gotten pretty deep in this show and you're now you're introducing the main topic, which you know is not unusual for us. I feel like this happens a lot. It does happen a lot. And here we are. And I I this is our year end, man. We're we're building up to it and what's the first of three episodes, right? So we're doing personally best camera gear purchase this year or favorite favorite camera gear this year and then tech. And then we'll do a yep. little tech corner, even though this isn't a tech podcast. It's kind of a tech podcast. Just, just like a little just bit. Like, like a little bit. Yeah. Man, if I knew more about like semiconductors, it would be so much more of a tech <laughs> podcast because we would have spent a while on CCD sensors. Yes. <laughs> and I would have been talking. Anyways, that would have been horrible. Everyone, we just lost listeners. But after that, we're going to do a little uh, 
like a year in review for camera companies. Yeah, that's going to be uh, next week. That'll be the next episode. Yeah. And then the big one, camera of the year 2023. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. Really need to prepare for that one. Yeah, I'm super pumped about that. that I might have to like, take a day off work so I can just really, you know, I need to like, I need to like travel out of town, like go to a remote location mm-hmm. for a yeah. while to just really dwell on that and think about that. Yeah, and like come up with the uh, isolate yourself and just yeah. really focus. Yeah, focus on the cameras. Yeah, this topic, on the other hand, I'm definitely just shooting from the hip on this one. Yeah, hey, that's all right. That's yeah. all right. I mean, I personally gave it a lot of thought mm-hmm. because I care about our listeners, unlike you. <laughs> that's fine. Okay, so where are we starting? This is our best of discussion. We're going to go through top five for each category. There's two categories, which is tech and cameras. Okay. And we're going to go through best camera purchases of 2023 and best tech purchases of 2023. I figured we TikTok this. Sure. You give me your five, I'll give you my five. Okay. Not like all five, but like five, five, four, four, three, three. Like that. Uh, and we'll end at number one. Okay. So let's sure. let's start with cameras. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then people can drop off for the tech thing unless they really care about that. Okay. Just cool. kidding. They have to stick around the whole time. Yep. Okay, Daniel. Give me your number five camera purchase of 2023. All right. I think I'm going to go with the Zhiyun Molus X100. So that's a light that I purchased earlier this year, maybe in like the June, July. I think it was in July. That's the Uh, one that's the size of like a, it's bigger than a, it's smaller than a VHS tape. Yes. It's a little bit bigger than like a modern smartphone. Yeah, 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 but mm-hmm. but thicker. Yeah, yeah. And it's a 100-watt light, and it comes with a portable battery, and has a Bowens mount, so you can mount normal modifiers on it. And, yeah, I got that in July or so as a to have an extra light for some of the shoots we do, and it's been great. I like being able to take it with me. It doesn't take up much space. The area where I've really used it a lot, though, is just around the house. So if I need to set up and do some photos of, like, a product or – if I just wanted to shoot a quick video, it's really small and compact. And if I want, I can use the little battery that it comes with. It's a USB-C battery. And so like I potentially don't even have to run a power cable for it. And it's, you know, I'd say it's not the best light I've used. Like, you know, when we're doing an interview setup, we're still using like your VL150, like big light as our main key light. But right. it's just been a really solid, like secondary light. And especially for that around the house, like I just need to pop up a quick setup. It's been great for that. It has decent CRI and color accuracy, and we haven't had any issues with it being too different from our other lights mm-hmm. whenever we've mixed lights. That's right. It's been reliable too. I've, I mean, I've never had it cut out while I'm using it or, you know, not turn on or any weird behavior like that. So it's been great. It sounds to me like you're using this light all the time around the house. And I'm wondering if instead of like putting it away, if you had a rolly stand and you just had this light <laughs> on a rolly stand, up. like you could just you could plug it in yeah. every so often when you yeah. need to charge it, man, you just roll this puppy around with It'd you. Be perfect. Yeah. I used to keep a light set up, and now I don't just because I don't shoot as much around the house as I used to. But uh, if I did, it would definitely be with this light. You could get like a shoulder rig, like you, it sits on your shoulder and like you get like holds the light over your head, and, and you could just like position it. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's <laughs> it's going a bit far. Okay, but it's pretty cool. So. I put seven things on my top pies list here. Classic. Uh, <laughs> and I would like to say that I have Im- purchased an embarrassing number of lenses this year. <laughs> I definitely think you should be embarrassed, but I don't know if you're actually embarrassed. Uh, and so I would. I just want to. I just want to note that the yeah. I bought an eighty millimeter macro, and it's not even making my top five. <laughs> <laughs> 
for camera gear. So classic. Uh, what what did make my top five was a C stand. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a that's a badge of honor though. I just I somehow got this far. I got to. I mean, we've been doing photo video stuff for since like what twenty seventeen something like that something like that whatever, and I have somehow gotten this far without a C stand. The number of times that I have in in poor decision making rigged up like a mic stand and tried to attach a camera to it and do like a top down. Mm-mm. Shameful. Yeah. It's horrible. I just, I've gotten, I've gotten way too far without one. And I finally bought one before we did, we, cause we've done like what, five music videos this year or something. Yeah. And so before that first one, I bought a lantern and I bought a C stand and oh boy, that C stand has been great. Yeah. It's just, it's like, they're expensive. I mean, they're like 130, 150, depending on what you get, you know, $200 for a C-Stam. But you're going to buy it. Nothing's never going to break, probably. And like, they're just, just like, you need them. You need them mm-hmm. all the time. Like, mm-hmm. you can never, you can't really ever have enough C-Stands, especially if you're shooting video. And I don't know. I don't know how I lived with that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of on a related note, I didn't buy it this year, but I have a heavy duty light stand that's like substantially larger and stronger than like the little light stand that you think of when I say light stand. Right. And I personally, I use that more than the C stand because it's like one piece. It's very lightweight. I can easily set it up. And I mean, it doesn't do all the same things a C stand does, but you know, if I need to put a 48 inch softbox up, like I can use that thing and feel a lot more confident in it. And just in general, having good grip gear like that is like, it's not fun to buy, but it's really helpful to yeah, have. Yeah, it's it's not exciting, it's not glamorous, but having good grip stuff, having good stands just is so important. Yeah. And like if you ever have to put up a scrim or whatever, boy, you're gonna mm-hmm. need a C stand. You're gonna need mm-hmm. maybe multiple and gaff tape. Boy, you didn't put gaff tape on your list, Daniel. <sighs> I should have. That would have been really funny. Number one, <laughs> roll the gaff tape. <laughs> Section my number one through five. We've gone so, so gone through so many rolls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your number four here? My number four is the Angler Softbox that I bought a while back. So I know I covered that on this show when I got it. Um, again, probably like in the August timeframe. So I've had it for a few months now. But I spent like $130 on a softbox. Oh, I do remember this yeah. episode. This one was when you you're like, Lucas, I've, I've done a thing <laughs> and I've spent too much money on a softbox. And I'm wondering if it's yep. actually $100 better or yep, whatever. Yep. And and I still wasn't sure when we talked about it, but I am here to report after a few months, I do think it was worth spending that much money on a softbox. Okay. What, uh, what's, what's the difference maker? Like, why is this so much better than the Amazon basic softbox? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple of things I really like about it. One is that I didn't have to assemble it. So all the other softboxes that we've both gotten, when you, when you get it in the mail, you have to run those stupid little wires through the softbox and get it all set up just right. And that process is annoying. I didn't have to do that on this one. It came assembled. So like already predisposed to like it, but it's super easy to set up. It snaps open really easily, tears down really easily. Um, That whole process feels like really robust and it's a lot easier to do than other soft boxes I've used. And kind of along with that, the case is just a lot better. So it comes with the same kind of soft case that you get with soft boxes, but one thing that's different about this one is it has a zipper that goes all the way down the side. So instead of having to shove it in the end and like cram it in there, you can just unzip this thing like all the way down the side and just nicely set it in there. And 
all that stuff like sounds kind of silly. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't need to like quickly set up a softbox, like if you're, if your setup is permanent in a studio somewhere, then all this sounds really dumb. And like, you should probably just go buy like the cheapest thing you can get. But when you're doing stuff where you've got to like set that up and you have people waiting on you and you're trying to do it quickly and you want to look professional, like it feels worth it to me because it's so much nicer and easier to use than all the other soft boxes I've had. Now I'm wondering if instead of buying a fancy soft box, if one should just buy a better bag. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't hurt, right? Like that's one easy way to improve it. Cause one problem you have with yours is, is it's like you, I mean, there's no way to win. Right. But like when you push it into the bag, it's either going to pull those metal poles out of the soft box, soft material or yeah. push them further into it. But yeah, like the spokes are going to come out of the sockets. Yes. Yes. But it doesn't matter. Like you might say like, well, I'm going to push it in. Uh, you know, front first, that doesn't happen. But then the problem is when you pull it out, mm-hmm. that's going to happen and, yeah. and vice versa. So like it's, that's, that's one of the problems with those. I mean, I feel like what I'm coming away from this though is that I should just buy a new bag. One that I can set in horizontally yeah. and then maybe I don't have it, to worry about it. It'd be a step up. It'd be an improvement. I feel like the softbox that I have opens up okay. Like you kind of have to, you know, you have to open up the side, like Velcro away the side a little bit and reach mm. in and you have to do this umbrella thing. Yeah. Make sure like you align the the piece with the center rod and mm-hmm. it pops open. What do you think about the part where you open it up and you have like four of the spokes poking out through the softbox material? Oh, just what do you think it. about that it's part? Just so, it's just the worst. It looks unprofessional. <laughs> I don't want to fix it. You don't want to like sew your softbox back? Yeah, jeez. Oh yeah. my God. I have, man. Ugh. I don't know. I, I, I get that the one I got was a luxury, but I'm happy I got it. It doesn't have a center rod. That's right. Which yeah. is which is a nice thing. Well, and that was one of the things I was interested in because I, you know, theoretically that should give you more light transmission. Sure. Yeah. Mo light. Mo light, mo better. Yeah. Or you get weird shadows or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I haven't had that problem, but maybe I do and I just don't know it. Yeah. Maybe. I'm not looking close enough. Yeah. That's good. It's good. I like a. Weird, weird top two here. You got a light and a soft box. Yeah. Well, these are these are my bottom two, right? That's right. My, Sorry, my bottom bottom two. I'm also gonna put a light on here. I bought an Amaranth COB 60X. Yeah, you did. I feel you want you were so excited about that light when it came out, and it took you a long time to actually buy one. I love that little light. It's so cute and it's so tiny. And I use it as a as a hair light and edge light. But it's it's a nice little effect light if you want to like fake some lighting or mm-hmm. try to hide a light down here and do some like uplighting on something or accent and it's like yep. I think I bought the bicolor one instead of the color like full color but you can get a full RGB one. I don't think you maybe you can now you couldn't when they came out. Yeah, you, I think there is a, there is a colored one, but I feel like a lot of what makes this light really cool has been supplanted by a lot of what's uh, Jiayun's been coming out with. And with their like tiny little, even smaller 60 yeah. watt lights. And then they have these interesting new like colored lights with the barn doors that we haven't even talked about yet. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like what made this light awesome has been supplanted by even more awesome versions of it. Yeah, maybe But so. I still love this tiny little baby light that if I needed to, I could put the whole light kit in my backpack with like, I could do a whole interview kit in my backpack. And yep. part of that is because this little tiny baby light that can do 60 watts is awesome. Mm-hmm. Battery power, yeah. put a V mount on it, just great. One thing I think it does have in its favor is that because it's made by Aperture, it supports the Aperture side as link app. And yeah. so, if you have Aperture MCs or the Aperture Tube Light or bigger Aperture lights, like you can control all of it from the same app, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. And I like it. Um, I also like 
whenever we talked about it way earlier this year or last year. I can't remember on so many episodes of this podcast. And there was a bit where I was trying to uh, get you to answer if it was bigger or smaller than a number of items. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> oh, boy, we should bring that segment back. Yeah. Is it bigger or smaller than an Amaranth 60X? It's bigger or smaller than a bread box. Yep. Even though nobody knows what a bread box is. Smaller. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. My next one is an unconventional choice because it's not really camera gear, but my best camera related purchase, one of them, top three, I guess, is the software Isotope RX. You rebel. Mm-hmm. So this is a program that lets you clean up audio. It's not... It has some like EQ and compressor and like like audio mixing things in it, but I don't ever use those. And and really the main purpose of it, I think, is to repair audio. So things like removing noise, removing mouth clicking sounds, removing breaths, um, reverb, stuff like that. It, it's, it's to take existing stuff and clean it up. And I actually... the the motivating thing for me to get that software was actually this podcast because you and I talk for an hour and you know, in an hour of talking, you make a lot of like weird noises with your mouth and stuff. How dare you? Yeah. Mostly you. It's about 90% you, you know, I, I don't do that. Yeah. But sure. It's also because sure. you talk like 90% of the time in this podcast. <laughs> and, and I got that software because, you know, I got tired of cleaning all that up myself. And now I have something where I can just put that in and run it through there. And it takes out a lot of problems. And so it's nice for the podcast, but I've actually started using it when we do interviews as well, because, you know, when we interview somebody, especially the people we're interviewing, you know, aren't professional voiceover artists. And so, well, there was one guy, but most of <laughs> there them, was that one guy. <laughs> most of them have not been professional voiceover artists. And so, you know, people, you know, aren't used to talking into a microphone. And so you get some weird effects. We've also had to record in non-ideal situations. So sometimes there's a lot of background noise because like somebody's refrigerator's like, you know, in the room or something. Sure. It has a software firmware update. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, and so fan, it's- Fan it's, spins up. <laughs> it's been really nice having something that we can run that stuff through and know we're going to get a better result. And it's super easy to use. And I feel like it improves our production value. That's good. And then you forced me to buy it yeah, because yeah. I needed it too. And yeah, no, that, the software is really capable. I'm not as uh, adept at editing audio as some people on this podcast. Yeah. And uh, even I can use it. <laughs> <laughs> so easy, even I can use it. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, worth it. All right, my number three here. We're getting into lens territory. <laughs> oh, no. I, I had to go back and look. I'm like, did I really? Oh, jeez. The, the uh, XF23 1.4. Okay. I'm also surprised you bought that this year because what a year it's been if uh, if you've already bought that. And, you know, that and, I mean, it's been so much so it's, much since then, Lucas. It's It's been a lot. <laughs> I had to go back and see if I had bought my, rebought the 16 mil this year, and I didn't. That was in December. Oh, close. <laughs> close. Now, I'm kind of surprised to see this as number three, though, because whenever you did your ranking of the Fuji lenses, I think the 23 was number one. It was, it was number one, yeah. Yeah. So why is it three on here? It's my number one lens, but it's not my number three camera purchase of the year. Uh, I, I don't know why, Daniel. There's like so many reasons. I think that you know, maybe that, that one you had to like trick me into buying. I was like, 
oh man, it's a good deal. I like, did kind of trick it? you into buying and it. You're like, you Lucas, you should totally buy it because you're gonna you're, you're gonna regret it if you don't or, or something. I just said some incantation of words that then had me at the counter at the camera store buying mm-hmm. uh, another lens. Yep. You enabler. Yep. I, I do I've remember been, that now. I, I feel like I've talked about it so much. Been happy. I've been really happy with it. And uh, I like uh, I like old lenses, as previously noted in our earlier segment. Mm-hmm. And that and is the, an, that uh, is an the, older lens. Yeah, and the other more, earlier segment. So has more character to it. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the original man. I'm working on I'm working on checking all the boxes. I'm gonna get all of those clutch lenses that Fuji makes, and I'm gonna be a completist. You're on your way. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've talked about that lens so much that I'm just gonna go ahead and move on here. Yeah, please do. <laughs> all right, my number two is going to be the new camera monitor I bought this year. So Okay. Yeah, so you and I have both had a uh, small HD focus um for quite a while. Yeah. I think probably got that in you know like 2019 maybe time frame something like that. And it was a good monitor. Uh, I think it was very good when it came out, but I got kind of tired of the low resolution. Yeah, it's like 720p or something. Mm-hmm. 480i. I also got tired of the stupid cable it uses that isn't a normal HDMI cable. I don't, I do not understand that decision. It is, it is, it's the worst thing. Not only is it micro HDMI, which God forbid, it has these like freaking tunnel thing that they devise so that you have to use like their cable in like the most hardware lock-in way possible <laughs> and it's not like i mean like sure whatever you're like okay i'll use your freaking cable but their cable is terrible good, it's not a good cable <laughs> it, but i've already gone through like one of them the one that i have is about to, i'm like i feel like it's gonna break because it's the size of like a spaghetti noodle yeah they're smaller yep and like, it always phrases the stupid corner <laughs> i hate that cable so much yep i just like what do i do just... and, and it's not cheap like buying a new one's like 15 bucks 20 bucks something it's not like to that get you yeah yeah and so i was like you know i don't want to keep buying these cables instead of buying 10 more of these cables i'm just gonna buy a new monitor there you go so that's what i did uh, I got the Port Keys PT6. I probably talked about it on episodes podcast, but you did. my my top reasons I like it: regular HDMI cable. It has a power input on it, so if you want to power it from a camera rig, uh, you can do that without a dummy battery. You just plug into the little power jack on it. Uh, and my top thing that I like about it is that you can turn on focus peaking for only a portion of the screen. So. One of the things that I hate about using camera monitors is if you turn focus peaking, peaking on, all of a sudden, all your UI elements, you know, like your shutter speed and all that stuff on your camera display, get outlined like as if it's focus peaked and it makes them all super hard to read and super annoying. You know, if the people out there who are listening to this, 90% of them all shoot Sony. That's true. And like, what's well, focus peaking? Why do you need that? <laughs> <laughs> They're not that bad. <laughs> Those new Sony cameras—they moved the all the display icons out of the out of the video feed whenever you're in video mode because like yeah. you're looking at a four by a three by two screen, mm-hmm. and so you're with sixteen by nine on it because yep. they don't shoot open gate. Yep. So why would they? Uh, and so they just put everything above and below, and they don't have yep. that problem. Well, no, they on a normal monitor they would still have that problem. Oh, really? Because oh, because the be, monitor doesn't know. The monitor doesn't know. The monitor is getting an HDMI feed, and so it's just going to say, "Well, this is my display, so let's focus peak all of it." And so you'd have all your things outlined in you know green or red or whatever. Sure. It's really annoying. 
What's cool about these port keys monitors is you can actually configure that focus peaking to say only do it in this smaller rectangle inside the image. And so you can cut out all of that stuff and only focus peak on your actual video, which is really nice. I like that it's it's basically the size of a of like a plus or a max size phone. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the bezels are a lot smaller. It's good. It's really sleek. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say like I, there's, there's no way for me to express how jealous I am. <laughs> When I look at your camera rig and I see that little squiggly condor blue cable, which is with a full-size HDMI port. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't even that expensive. That monitor was like $170, which is cheaper than we paid for the small HD. So, yeah, it's good. It's a good yeah. monitor. Mm-hmm. That was my second choice. Okay, cool. Well, my second choice is another lens. Oh. <laughs> you don't say. Which one is it this time? That's the 56 1.2. You finally got one. That, is it, is it, that was your white whale, I feel like. You, you had to try so many copies to get oh a good one. Oh, my gosh. I just, I, can't, I, did, I couldn't buy another used one. Like, I had that whole experience. And I'm like, that's it. I'm never going to buy, I can't ever buy a used one version of this lens. And, like, I don't want to buy a new one. Because, like, it's, like, I really want that lens. But it was, it. It didn't totally fit in all the stuff that we do, and I could really just find. Like, I'm not gonna buy a new version of this thing. But then when they came out, when they came out with the new 56, it's like weather sealed, and it's just a better lens all the way around, like better optically, closer focusing distance. You know, I mentioned weather sealing. The new 56 1.2 is so much better, like so much better than the old 56 1.2. Yep. The 56, like the old one, went on like fire sale. I got this thing for like $500 or cheaper new. Yeah. And so buying it new, you were confident that you weren't going to have the weird issues that you had on the, well, you weren't confident, but you were more confident. Yeah, I was like, if it's brand new, I mean, yeah. you know, it's technically under warranty. I remember when I, I bought this thing from B&H and then I went back to check the listing, sold out. And so I'm, I'm confident that I got the last one. <laughs> the last old 56. Yep. It's mine. And you're happy with it. Yep. Number two on my list. It's great as a... Uh, B angle for interviews. It looks, it's because we can shoot those at 1.4 a little farther away. Mm-hmm. Like it's not so much that, you know, we're getting like half the person's face in focus. I'm getting, we're getting their whole head in focus, yeah. but the creaminess and the fall off and the sharpness that you get out of that lens is so different than the way we're shooting the A roll angle. Cause usually yeah. we're shooting that at like F4, F5.6. So it's, you know, it's deep enough with a little bit of fall off on the back, but like you, you see the whole person, that sort of thing. And so yeah. because we have this really fast telephoto, it's like we get this totally different. Now it's not only like, okay, we're 30 degrees off. And so when we cut it, it's not going to look weird. And it even has a different look to it. And I feel like it blends together really nicely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a great lens. It is a great lens, Daniel. Glad you finally got a good one. <laughs> All right, hit, hit, hit me with your number one. All right, my number one is my XH2S cage setup and battery. So I kind of combine this because it feels like one, like I basically bought all this stuff around the same time. Yeah, you but, were like Caleb Piking it for a little while yeah. there. Just really, you know, well, how can I optimize my cage uh, setup? I've got so many parts that I didn't use for that. But um, so I got a V-mount battery, finally took that plunge and ended up getting a V-mount plate that has a bunch of outputs on it. And I built up a cool little XH2S camera rig that I feel like solved most of my problems with using the XH2S for video. So I wanted something where I could easily remove the camera when I wasn't, you know, in rig mode because I still use it for photos and stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But whenever I had it in the rig mode, I wanted it to be, you know, powered with a a larger battery and have everything be really self-contained. And my biggest thing was I wanted to be able to fit it all in like one bag so I could just 
throw it in a bag, take it out when I get to the shoot, be ready to go. And I managed to do that. So I have a cool little, like, very compact little rig uh, that has a V-mount battery in the back. I have an Arca Swiss quick release on it so I can pop the XH2S out really easily. Yeah. And that uh, monitor sits kind of on top of it. And I have a little, I put a monitor mount, like a rig monitor mount sideways on it so that it basically acts like a flippy screen on a camera like it tilts in the exact same way as like yeah, a fully articulated you, fold, you fold it out and then you can you can do all the yeah. articulation on it yeah that works pretty well it does work really well and it just feels really intuitive to use because like we're all used to using a camera that has that and like mm-hmm. you know you can even flip it around to the front if you're filming yourself and, and it has the big just, advantage of you can you can rotate that thing down i mean yeah. we've all used top handles or kind of forward facing handles which is a pretty common place to stick it but if you lift the camera in the air, you can't really see like see it. But you know, with your monitor mounting on the side, you can you can turn yeah. it down. And that was a big thing for me too, because a lot of times shooting events, I'm not a particularly tall person, and so a lot of times I hold the camera up in the air and film, you know, from a slightly higher perspective. And so it's really nice with this that I can tilt that screen down and be able to see what I'm filming. So, yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's really happy with that whole setup. I feel like I finally cracked it. Like I've you know you spend all this time trying to get the rig just the way you want. And I've got something now where when I use it, I'm not immediately thinking like, what do I want to add to this? Just, it right. feels right. It's good. It's good. I'm surprised that your rig conversation or your list didn't include your doctor bag. Yeah. And I, I thought about mentioning it in the, in the rig discussion because the doctor bag was kind of like part of that whole setup where I wanted to be able to build the rig at home. And then when I show up at the shoot, I can just pull out and go. Like it's kind of what I was saying about the softbox earlier, mm-hmm. where it's just like I don't, deploy. I, yeah, I just want to be ready. I don't want the person like waiting on me. Like I don't ever want to be the holdup, you know, and getting stuff done. And so mm-hmm. you don't want to be that guy that's balancing the gimbal. And everyone's <laughs> waiting. Exactly. Yeah. And so the doctor bag's been really nice. I feel like that's something that maybe a lot of people don't know about. Like they don't even know you can buy a product like that. But yeah, it's that's been a cool uh, improvement as well. It's good. It's good. Yep. All right, here's my number one. Your number one lens or your number one piece of camera gear? Yes. <laughs> well, no, because my we already said was my number one lens was that 23 1.4. My number one camera purchase of this year is the 50 to 140 XF lens. <laughs> you just got that too. Yeah, that's what, it's that already up there. That one's still recent, and I feel like that one has been a long time coming. Yeah, I feel a like long any, lens. It was a long time coming. I mean. It, I feel like anyone who's done photography long enough would say, you know, if you could get a your your seventy to two hundred two point eight, like that lens is going to be like bread and butter for so many things. Yeah, it's just it's such a good portrait lens. It's such a good zoom, and it's a really useful focal length. Mm-hmm. That that is a that is a staple for so many people, but it's also just weirdly out of reach for a lot of people because you're shooting on say you're shooting on like sony or canon or whatever yeah there's a lot of options out there like we haven't even talked about the sigma new sigma 7200 for sony yeah that's like yeah. really light and like a fantastic lens but you know you're gonna spend two thousand three thousand dollars on a good 7200 2.8 zoom and i just feel like it's always it's always like oh i'm gonna get one of those one day yeah. like i want to be able to get like you know one of these days I'll get my I, my telephoto zoom and then I'll be a real photographer or whatever. And I've never wanted to like take the plunge to buy it. And I finally finally found a good deal and got one this year. And I feel like my my photo kit is complete. 
because I've been drooling over this lens for like years and I keep buying all these other lenses and I'm like, ah, well, I could do this and I'll get the 50 to 140 later. I'll, I'll borrow Daniel's 50 to 140. I don't, I don't need one of my own. Yep. And here we are. I finally got it. I, my, my lens ecosystem is complete, except not really because I'm probably still going to buy more lenses. And it's just, this is, this is great. Do you regret not buying that one sooner? I don't know how I would have gotten here otherwise. Like every time I've purchased a lens, it's always been for one reason or another. And I don't like, I don't want to have spent, you know, $1,100 on that lens. That's I, I love Fuji lenses because they're so cheap. I'm talking about an, like a thousand dollar lens. Yeah. And it's like the full frame equivalent of this for anybody else. So like, well, geez, it's going to cost $2,500 and that's a good deal if yep. I bought one for my camera. Yep. So I don't know what is Lucas even complaining about over here. <laughs> you keep buying these cheap lenses. Uh, but I don't know. I just uh, like maybe that instead of the 80 macro, possibly mm-hmm. those are roughly the same price, but I felt like I needed something in that 80 and it was trying like to swap out to replace my Viltrox, which I forgot to mention. I did that whole list last week, yep. last week, and I included a Sigma lens and I didn't include my Viltrox 85 1.8, <laughs> but it was a Fuji lens list. And so the Sigma either shouldn't have been in there or the Viltrox should have been in there and it should have been a top 11. Oh, man. And so I was like, oh, shoot. I just, I did it wrong. Did and it so wrong. I would slot that, that Viltrox in above the 17 to 70 at number, at number seven. Mm, okay. Yeah. So if anyone wants to go back and listen to that episode to remember yeah. what that whole list was, that's where the 85 1.8 would go. Oh, okay. That was a pretty good yeah. lens. But it's not the crown jewel of your collection, like the 50 to 140. No, it's not. <laughs> so, well, and like 50 to 140 feels like it could legitimately replace a lot of things I have. Like maybe if I bought that instead of the 80 and the and the 5612, you know, yeah. that would have easily covered that and I probably would have been happier. But, you know, I'm pretty, I feel like each of those kind of serves, serves its own purpose. Yeah. I mean, now you have it. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's an advantage. Yeah. So there we go. That's my number one. Pumped about it. Yeah. Good list. All right, I, Dana, we don't even have time to get into the tech stuff, I, I, man, which I, is appropriate because this isn't a tech podcast. I kind of think we should get into the tech stuff, but not talk about them in the same detail that we just talked about the like, light, lightning round. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. I we mean, can if, do you, this. if you have a if you have a little bit of ed- editorializing, that's fine. But like, we don't need to go like way. way All right. So I'll start my, and I only have four actually. Okay. Um. So my number four is my new iPhone. Uh, we've talked about that at length on this podcast. So I'm not going to get way into it, but short version, I just think it's really cool that I have a, a phone that is good enough to use as a B or C angle for real work. We definitely subbed that into a project recently and you text the person who they're like, did you notice that that was uh, the iPhone angle in there? And, yeah, no uh, idea. No idea. Yep. yep. So that that was the test to me. Like he couldn't tell. He's He does videos. So, yep. and that's... Uh, that's that was really, I wanted. really satisfying. Yeah. So happy about that. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, I have, do I only have four on my list too? It looks like I only have four. I must've forgotten my fifth one. Uh, this isn't really, this isn't even camera related, but uh, I got a new watch. Got a and, new watch? Yeah. Cause uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be an athletic person mm-hmm. and I got a Phoenix seven and it's the best thing ever. And who makes that? It's Garmin. Okay. Yep. And uh, that replaced my other Garmin that was like five years old. Mm-hmm. And I can now have a timer on my wrist, and I know that we've been going for one hour and 11 minutes. <laughs> Indeed we have. And there's no other way for me to have known that without having bought that watch. <laughs> it has solar power, Daniel. I can stick my hand out the window. Battery. 
<laughs> How long does it last on a charge? Uh, it's supposed to last like I think eighteen days. <laughs> and a long then time. Uh, the solar power is supposed to if you can get like enough solar energy, it's supposed to push that up to like twenty two days. What if you don't see the sun in eighteen days? Well then you only then you only get eighteen days of battery. <laughs> So, so I, the I've, people I'm in Alaska on, that are listening to this, pay and take take note. You're only going to get 18 days of life. Oh man, I can't like check my battery at the same time as a uh, as recording this. No, I have to like stop it. Oh my, my battery. gosh, really? What kind of what kind yeah, of watch is you know is what? This? I'm taking it back. This is uh, this is the worst. <laughs> so it's I'm at 43 percent, and this is that is eight days later. So pretty good. I should I should be able to make it another another seven days. Yeah, yeah. Just make sure you get some sunlight in there. That'll help. Maybe I will. <laughs> All right. My next one. Uh, by the way, so I got a lot of Apple products on here. I feel like I'm not as much of an Apple fanboy as this list makes it seem. It just, just so happens that I bought a lot of Apple stuff this year. This was, this was your upgrade this year, right? Upgrade you know, like year. I haven't bought any Apple yeah. products for like four years. <sighs> And how I have to replace them all. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so my next one is actually HomePod Minis, which is a weird one to weird one to have. But um, I was actually, you know, in terms of like improvements to my life, I put this higher than the iPhone because mm-hmm. I used to have Amazon devices, Amazon Echoes. Yep. Um, and I just kind of got tired of Amazon listening to everything I said. And yeah. they always have these notifications. They're like, did you know you can oh you know, give Amazon money in this other way? And I got really tired of that. So annoying. Yeah. And so I got rid of all those and replaced them with a few HomePod minis. And now I use Apple's voice assistant instead. And I think my review after a while of using it is it's definitely not as good as it's not as good at like, you know, answering questions and stuff as the Google one or the Amazon one. I'm trying to not say their name. Sure. Um, but, you know, for things like smart home control, turning lights on, asking about the weather, setting timers, it's just fine. There's no problems with it. It works as well as the other ones for those purposes. And that's really all I need those things for. I don't actually need to ask it to define words for me and stuff. Um, and I, I just, I guess I just trust Apple a little bit more than those companies to not sure. abuse my data. So happy with that. Yeah. I, uh, I also made that decision this year of not, I didn't go, I didn't go buy home bods, mm-hmm. but I, I had, I think like three Google homes and like two echoes. I've never purchased one. <laughs> they just, <laughs> they just happened to like you. white, like white elephant things or gifts or came free with whatever. Yeah. It's like, they'll do anything to get things in your home. Well, yeah, because they're benefiting from it. Yeah. And no. that should be suspicious to you. Like, yeah. if, if you don't have to pay for it, like... A little, little bit, know. right? Yeah. Like, well, if you well, if you didn't pay for it, like, what's the product or something? Yeah. Like, your other product. Anyways, I like, I bought I bought egg timers. I bought two egg timers for my kitchen. Mm-hmm. And one is, like, an old twisty one that's kind of fun. Uh, my, my spouse wanted that one instead of a different... Anyways, sure. whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's a little annoying, but it's fine. But then I bought, I bought one that's a cube. Mm-hmm. And it has five sides and then a side that's down. And each side is a number, like, you know, 10, 35. And you just, you flip that side up and it starts counting. That's cool. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. so much easier than being like, Alexa, set a timer for blah, 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 blah. Uh, I just go, floop. And then I have five minute timer going. <laughs> and I'm like, this is just so much easier. And I'm happy. I just think it's funny that, you know, I feel like out of our friend group and the people we know, you and I are probably like two of the most, like, you know, tech aware. People. I mean, we do have a camera podcast. We have a camera podcast. And like, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like you and I are like more in that world than a sure. lot of people. And I think it's interesting that like, 
I know a lot of people with those devices. You know a lot of people with those devices. And then we're over here like wanting to like simplify and get away yep. from that stuff. It's interesting. It hasn't been a problem. I just, I use the little control center in my phone to change the stupid things. And yeah. I have a few buttons to change my hue lights and it's mm-hmm. been fine. Yeah. I don't I like, like it. I'm not needing to shout for things. The only thing that I can do is like start music with my voice yeah. to the Sonos, but I, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that. It's just like I've gotten used to workflows where I pull out my phone and use my phone to do it. Yeah. And it's fine. You just kind of adapt to it. And I don't need a, I don't need Amazon or Google just listening to me all the time. Yeah. Agreed. All so right. my, my number two, three, I guess, because I also only have four somehow, uh, was my, and I, I'm surprised this didn't make it higher. It's my iPad Pro. I, Honestly, I was expecting this to be the for the top one for you. Man, I I've talked about it before, but I made a decision in like 2012, 13, 14, something like that. I was, I gave it a lot of thought and I was like, you got your e-readers and your tablets and your laptops and your phones and back when then we were still saying phablet, uh so large phone and I was like, man, these all have weird overlaps and functionality. Yeah. And like you could, you could be some amalgamation. Like you could have a desktop computer and an iPad and a, and a small phone, or maybe you have like a big phone that's your e-reader and your tablet. And then you have a laptop computer and you know, well, I, I don't need all these devices. I don't need an e-reader and a tablet and a laptop and a phone, which I all have now, which yeah. is really frustrating. <laughs> I was about to say, so fast forward to 2023. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I, uh, I was like, I'm going to be a phone laptop person and that's just going to be my life. And I did that for 10 years, right? And so I, I owned an I owned an iPad Mini 2 and I didn't buy another iPad until I bought my iPad Pro 11 <laughs> with the M2 in it this year. Big upgrade from that. Yeah, and holy cow, have iPads gotten a lot better. Yeah, and it's, you seem to use it a lot more than you <laughs> like, thought you would. So much more. I don't I don't browse like the internet or whatever on my phone anymore. Like I'm just going to use my iPad. And because I'm still in the Apple ecosystem for now. It's like I can do all of the things that I would on my phone on my iPad. Like I can text people and I don't make phone calls because I'm not a monster, but no one makes phone calls anywhere anyways. Yeah, you can film concerts. Yeah, dude, I'm just holding that thing up and taking pictures. I'm not doing that because see previous, not a monster. <laughs> uh, but like everything else, right? And so I'll connect to my headphones and play podcasts and watch YouTube and like surf the internet and I'll use it to like take notes and like draw things and sketch and oh my gosh, it's it's great. Like I, it's replaced all of my casual computer using for my computer. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm shocked at how much use I got out of it for the longest time. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with an iPad. And it turns out I'm going to start reading comic books. Apparently. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> I borderline replaces my Kindle, but I still prefer the e-reader for reading. Yeah, and I think that too. the e-reader has a purpose built device for reading. I think there's still room for that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, because the iPad made it onto my list too, and I guess to kind of like go along with what you're saying, yeah, because that's your that's your next one, right? Yeah, that's my next one, and you you said a lot of things about the iPad that I agree with, so I'm not going to repeat that. But for me specifically, I think what made the difference is getting the Magic Keyboard for it, which is their Apple's keyboard that basically makes it into a laptop. Like it's a it has a stiff hinge, so you can use it sitting on your lap uh, without any issues, and it's got like regular keys and a touchpad. I mean, it makes it like a little laptop. And that to me is what has really made it useful for me because my laptop is pretty big and bulky and I don't always want that. You know, if I'm just doing casual use or if I'm just going to go to a coffee shop to hang out, I don't always want to take that computer with me. Mm -hmm. And so now for me, the iPad can basically be like a little ultralight computer. And I 
you know, I still feel like there are things that I can't do on it that are easier on a computer, but for a lot of like casual stuff, it's great. I used to take my laptop with me every, everywhere I traveled. Like I always brought my laptop with me because I want to like look at my pictures and do that sort of thing. And the iPad has replaced 80% of my photo editing. Mm -hmm. And I've done a few little videos on it as well because now you have DaVinci Resolve and Final Cut Pro. Yeah. And it's like, it just does, it does 80% of the things. Yeah. And I've been just so happy with it. Mm -hmm. Like weirdly happy. I know this sounds like an Apple ad. (laughs) I never thought I would be an iPad person. (laughs) Here you are. And here I am. Like I use my iPad more than you. I was like, Daniel, do you know about this feature? You've had an iPad for the last five years. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah, well, and I, I will say this is the iPad that I have used the most out of any iPad I've ever owned. Nice. Uh, and, and I do think a lot of it for me is that keyboard because I would always end up in a situation where like a lot of what I do when my casual computing use is write, writing stuff. Like, sure. You know, typing things. And, you know, that's not realistic on an iPad that doesn't have a keyboard. Uh, so that made a big difference for me. And that keyboard accessory was not cheap, but uh, it was worth it. So Nice. All right, so I'm going to go with my number two, which is going to another TikTok here. Uh, you forced me into buying a new computer this year. I did. Again, yep. just like Kicking that lens. and screaming. Golly. And because, I mean, we started, we, we bought those fancy, cool new cameras. And we're shooting all this, you know, 6K, or, yeah, 6K, 422, 10-bit, fancy pants, OpenKit stuff. Mm-hmm. And golly, even you know, my, that, my. You know, that was part of it. But I think the the biggest thing was that we really did. Much bigger projects this year. We that's true. We have done a l- much larger projects this year uh, from from last year. And my M1 Air, which was a f- it's, it's, it still is a phenomenal computer, I just couldn't keep up. And so I bought an M1 Max, like on fire sale or whatever from B and H, and that has cut my like render times. Jeez, by you know something that would have took five hours takes like thirty minutes kind yeah. of thing. It's tens of times faster and it's just it's been transformative there are things that we're doing now in our video edits that i literally couldn't do before stuff like, like adding noise adding grain and stuff. yeah like i do most of our color work and so dealing with like certain effects or certain grains or doing like noise reduction on stuff there were some things where i was like i can't i can't do noise reduction because it's going to render for 20 hours <laughs> literally 20 hours yeah and there's no way that i can run this proof it and then run it again and still meet deliverable. Yep. And now I can like, you know, it takes at worst, you know, a couple hours kind of thing. Yeah. My comment on that is, so, you know, we both before, you know, spoiler alert, my next one is also my, uh, my new M1 Max MacBook Pro. Um, but, you know, we, we both had the M1 Air before that. And I've made a lot of YouTube videos with that, with that computer. And, Produced a lot of videos where I did all the editing on a 13-inch MacBook Air. Yeah. And it got the job done. It was great. What What's funny about this is a while back on Twitter, I don't remember the exact conversation, but somebody mentioned something about a MacBook Pro with, you know, like whatever specs. And I replied and said that I think that like 32 gigs of RAM, you know, on like a Oh, M1 MacBook Pro is, you know, probably the sweet spot for video editing. I'm, I'm maybe actually said 64. I feel like I said 64 gigs. So that's what we both yeah, have. Yeah, right. Um, and I stand by that. I think that's, I, I, I didn't say that you had to have it. I said, I think it's the sweet spot for it. So many people replied to that thread and were just like, well, I edit my videos on a potato and it's just fine. <laughs> so I think you're being silly by saying that. And so many people said it. And I feel like 
what they don't realize is like when you've been on both sides of that, where you have seen the lesser thing and like, then you've used something better. Like to be honest, like when I see people say that, it just tells me kind of where they're at in their video editing journey. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, I used to, you know, much lesser computer for a long time and it was fine. Yeah. Some people aren't ever going to do a 20 cam multicam where they have to, you know, <laughs> go through and edit yeah. this like crazy music video and like whatever. And, and if you have a lower end computer and you want to edit videos, you should not let it hold you back and you can do it, yeah. you know, on, on lower end hardware and you should be like proud of your results and there's nothing wrong with that it's called proxies but everything that we've done since getting those computers has been made better by having a really powerful computer and Definitely. having a lot of ram having a good cpu and gpu i mean mostly it's just like that quicker turnaround time you know you mentioned a couple of things where it's like we literally couldn't have done this otherwise but it's also things like i've just gotten done editing all day and i want to quickly run this export and look at it so that i can like close my computer down for the day like, it's nice that I don't have to wait four hours for that. Yep. Or like, okay, I finished. Now I'm going to check this in the morning because it's going to yeah. render all night. And I know that, you know, the money that one spends on an M1 Max MacBook or even like the M3 nowadays, right? You could buy, you could build a crazy PC. Mm -hmm. If you're running DaVinci Resolve, you could build a crazy PC with all the GPU that you need and be even faster and be even better. Yep. But I mean, we were editing in Final Cut for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of been the driver for like why Mac, but... The mobility and like the power ratio for these new M1, like the M series machines, M1, M2, M3, like you still, you get like 10 hours of battery. Yeah. Like if you're video editing, it's like four or whatever, but it's, it's just nuts. Mm -hmm. It's nuts how much battery life you get, but then also you get the other side of it and you can plug in and you can do crazy edits. And yeah. I feel like it's just right now it's the perfect balance of like power to battery to size. Yeah. And I like agree. the screen is just crazy good. And I've been, I've just been so happy with it. Yeah. I mean, the portability is kind of a big thing too, because, you know, sometimes you're on a trip and you want to be able to do some editing or we've had times where we go and shoot an event and we need to give some deliverables like right then, like, you know, the, the client saying, you know, we want to be able to post some stuff on social media. Can you get us like, you know, a couple of photos or like a short video so that we can post it like soon. You can't do that if you don't have a laptop. Right. So I yeah. don't know. I, that's that was my number one pick for this year. Um, you know, not that my old laptop was bad. I loved that computer, but I've gotten so much value out of mm -hmm. my uh, out of my new one. Yeah, those and been huge upgrades. Huge upgrades. It, you know, it was expensive, but I feel like it's already paid for itself in terms of being able to get some of these projects done. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So my number one uh, was uh, my Bear Dynamic DT seven seventy headphones. <laughs> Uh, similar to the C stand. This is so funny. It, this just more more so than the C stand. This was long overdue. I have somehow made so I somehow made it to 2023 without buying like real over the ear headphones that are like studio quality. You would come over to film this pod or to record this podcast, and it was like every week you would bring another terrible pair of headphones that yep. you like pulled out of a drawer somewhere, uh -huh. and they were all bad. <laughs> and it was the worst. Yep, yep. But now. I got I got my over my over the headphones closed back. I got cool gel pads for them, and I just couldn't be happier. And I use these to actually edit video, and I can hear what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was what I thought of when I saw this on the list because I remember like I would tell you about audio stuff, and be like, "Oh yeah, I fixed this thing." You're like, "Oh, I couldn't hear it." And then now I feel like you're like, "Oh yeah, there was too much reverb in that recording." <laughs> All accurate. Uh, previously, you know, using 
AirPods or whatever, not as good. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. If you're if you're editing video and you care about sound, just like get some like the the T770s cost me like a hundred and something bucks or yeah. You can get the MX50s. Those aren't that expensive. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> so worth it. I use them all the time. And I've just yeah. Is there some, is there anything else out there that I've been putting off that I really need to dive into, Daniel? I'm gonna have to think about it because probably, but yeah, I I feel like to me those are some of the most satisfying purchases when you have something that's not that expensive and just makes a huge like disproportionate impact yep. in your stuff. And yep. those headphones are a perfect example of that, where it's like you use them frequently and it's just such a big upgrade over what you had before. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Those best tech purchases. Yeah. I got one more topic for you. Oh, man. More? <laughs> more? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll talk about that Sigma 70 to 200 later. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll punt that one to next week. Cool. Cool. It's been an exciting year of purchases. Yep. Man, get ready for it. I'm, I'm pumped about the next one. Yeah. I, uh, I really got to dig into this one, but we're going to. The next one's the, uh, is that the, what, what we're talking about? The, the camera brands in review. Yeah. We're going to basically whip out our report cards and, uh, See how see how all our good friends are doing. Yep, yep, cool. Well, you can look forward to hearing that one next week. That's it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you liked it, tell a friend so they can check it out too. You can find out more about the show at www.cameragearpodcast.com and you can find us on Twitter at Camera Gear Pod. We'll be back with more next week.